Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. This is the LeaderCast Podcast, helping you be a leader worth following. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the LeaderCast Podcast. I'm Haley Panagakis, your host for this episode, and today we are talking about white space, what it is and why it's an often overlooked but highly important organizational practice. So I know I'm not alone in this. Do you ever feel like your days are just filled with clutter? For me, there are days I feel like my mind is bouncing from to-do to to-do, meeting to meeting and back again. And as leaders, how often do we give our minds time to explore? No agenda, no to-dos, just time to let ourselves think and see where our minds take us. That's the idea behind Whitespace, and today we're talking with Juliet Funt, CEO of Whitespace at Work, for an in-depth look at white space and why it matters for leaders and their organizations. We are honored to have Juliet on our podcast today in anticipation of her talk at our LeaderCast Live event, which is happening May 10th in Atlanta and broadcast to locations around the globe. So Juliet, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. It's going to be great today and great then. It's a wonderful organization. Thanks. Yeah, we're so excited. So can you just begin by explaining what exactly white space is? Sure. Some people have heard the term in graphics design about the blank space on the page. Some people have used the term in sales. It means untapped market share. But in our work in white space and the work of most corporate professionals, what we refer to in white space is the open, unscheduled time that is in between the activities of the day. So we call it a strategic pause taken between activities. And these pauses can be literally one second. They can be 10 seconds, half an hour, or a half a day. And they're used for a myriad of important professional focuses, uh, all kind of leading to a culture of more thoughtfulness and presence and creativity. White space used to be more present in our lives before the pace and cadence of work accelerated, before cell phones filled in every single little interstitial gap that we had. We used to have more time to simply be thoughtful or recuperative or strategic. And we don't anymore. And it's changed the way that we work. Mm -hmm. So how is white space different from mindfulness or like mind wandering? Like what is white space not? Sure. Good question. So let's do mind wandering first because it's in its own category. Mind wandering is not a volitional experience. Mind wandering or daydreaming is when your mind, the mind chooses to escape. You don't choose. So this uh-huh. is when your mind slips away and you don't even notice that you're not being intentional. It's, it's hijacking your, your uh, ability to focus. Mindfulness and meditation are both beautiful things. They align with white space. We practice them in the office. But one of the things that they do have is instruction and discipline. So in mindfulness or meditation, when your mind thinks, which it often does, you try to label that as thinking or touch the thought or acknowledge the thought and then refer back to candle or your breath or a mindful conversation or a mindful meal. But there's a lot of instruction about taking thought and choosing not to follow it. 
And this mm-hmm. is the big line of demarcation. In white space, we follow the thought. I was with a senior leader at an event the other day who said, when you're chasing the rabbit of a thought, it takes a long time to get to the hole sometimes. And that's exactly the concept of white space is when thought comes, we do not push it aside as in mindfulness or meditation. We do not simply acknowledge it and then try to return away from it. We say, hey, thought, I wonder what you have in store for us today. And we follow and we get curious and we iterate and we develop. And this is why white space has such a fantastic and unique correlation to creativity. Mm-hmm. So, Julia, how does making time for a white space impact a company's productivity? Well, one of the fun and malleable and beautiful things about white space is that whenever you have less junk in the workflow and more time to be thoughtful, it authentically accelerates anything. So Mm -hmm. if your productivity goals are around new client innovations, if your productivity goals are around retention of wonderful employees, if your productivity goals are around more patents, any time that you have less junk and more time to be thoughtful, you're automatically accelerating those goals. So when cultures of companies decide to gain more white space, they naturally reduce junk as a byproduct. That's how they uncover the white space that is there. So by being what we call reductive, by developing this mindset where we're constantly stripping away, surrendering, and renouncing the unnecessary, we're freeing more and more and more talent capacity for the execution of what's really important. Gotcha. So this month, LeaderCast is focused on one specific leadership topic that's crucial in leading healthy teams, which this month is commitment. So is there any role that white space plays in growing a team's level of commitment? I think that there is a natural connection because I think that talented people who are in an environment where they're respected and they have a challenging job would like to be committed to that work. Mm-hmm. But the normal stressors and tensions and sandbags of a typical corporate environment, the unnecessary work, the illogical sign-off, the paperwork, the red tape, the complexity, I think that that erodes people's commitment. And try as they may every morning to walk into work with a zip in their step and a commitment with their, you know, Starbucks in their hands, it's hard to keep enthusiastic and keep optimistic when the workflow is so difficult, when it's like walking through molasses all of the time. So conversely, when you have more white space, when you open a calendar, let's say you're working in an ad agency or you are a VP in a beverage company or anything where you have a wider mission, which is hopefully every professional, you walk in in the morning, you open your calendar and there's a refreshing amount of actual white space on the page. That's where the name came from in the first place. There's a feeling of levity and possibility and there's more work to be done. Ironically, I'll tell you a personal story. I just opened my calendar today and realized that there wasn't enough white space on my own calendar. And there's this immediate feeling of tension, figuring out how will I jam in between all the calls and all the meetings, the important things that I have to do, the immediate tension of thinking, is this going to mean that my work is going to overflow later and later in the evening and impact my children? All of those tensions occur because there is not visually any white on the page of my calendar today. And conversely, when it's there, everything is just different. Yeah. So I know at White Space at work, you talk about the car versus the road. Can you explain what that means? Yes, I think this is a really fascinating one about commitment and it's a wonderful correlation. So a lot of wonderful companies are trying to help their employees be healthier and weller so that they will be more committed at work. And so Mm -hmm. what they do is they bring in green juice and yoga programs and meditation and exercise venues and all these wonderful things for people to physically change their their bodies. They bring in sleep consultants to help them get more sleep, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's like fixing up a car. It's like having a beautiful sports car and you're polishing the paint and you're changing the tires and the person is being focused on that if they can be optimized, then everything should work. But what people forget is the road. So you take that beautiful sports car and then you put it out on a road that's filled with potholes and tumbleweeds and vines across the road and, and cracks in the, cement, in, the, in the concrete, in the asphalt. That car, no matter how beautiful and optimized it is, is going to have a hard time making its way forward. The road mm-hmm. is the organization. The road is the organization itself. And so if your organization is buried in complexity and full of unnecessary work and makes it torturous for people to work, then all of that good stuff you give them is just its making them feel responsible for succeeding in an environment where it's sometimes not possible to easily succeed. So we say don't forget the car and don't forget the road, that both are important, but most companies, when they start to smell stress in a corporate environment, they start trying to fix the car. And so we like to make sure that the corporation itself or the entrepreneurship or the small business also has to take ownership that the road is very important. Right. So speaking about organizations, can you share what inspired you to start White Space at Work? Uh, it's a long path, but I'll tell you the whole path. So I was, I've been speaking on stage for 20 years. And during the first seven years of that, I did a lot of work in general professional development. I did a lot of executive coaching, smaller, private, one-on-one type stuff. And slowly I began to be leaning toward this topic, which was around, we used to call it overcommitted, overwhelmed, and over it. It was a, a topic about stress and productivity and, and being overloaded in the workplace, mm-hmm. which actually was the birth of the topic of white space. That was about 14, 15 years ago. I spoke on stage about it for about nine years. And during that period of time, visited with thousands of people and hundreds of companies and honed the content and developed protocols and models and frameworks that helped people. And then about six years ago, we actually started the company. And that's the, that's the, the timeline. But the emotional timeline is that during the period of time where I was focused on this overload topic, I realized that I was always solving my own problem with my obsession and fascination with white space because I'm a very, very driven, technology-addicted, go-go type A lady that was just constantly fascinated and drawn back to this idea of space and stepping back and thoughtful time and doing less because it was so antithetical to my most natural way of working. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that dichotomy between what, uh, you know, what the student, between the topic and the, and the teacher, that always keeps me interested in this work because I'm always in the trenches with you trying not to touch my phone, trying to discipline myself to have thoughtful time, trying not to put an unrealistic amount of stuff on a to-do list. And that sense of identification and the sense of being in the trenches makes this work constantly very interesting to me over decades. Mm-hmm. So why would you say white space is so often overlooked in the workplace today? Well, it's very hard to, it's not in vogue, you know. So if you were a worker in a mid-sized company 20 years ago and you walked into your boss's office and they were staring out of a window quietly thinking, you would quietly walk backwards and you would close the door because it would be very clear that they were busy thinking and they were cooking up the future of the company and you'd know instinctively how valuable that was because it was a different time. Mm -hmm. And now if you were to, if you were to find someone just thinking, sitting at a desk and you walked up to them, you would probably, if you were a manager or a supervisor, lean over and say, hey, what are you working on? What are you working on? What are you working on? 
And because of technology and the pace and cell phones, there's just been such an intense acceleration of pace and cadence of work that it's just not what we do anymore. It's like, why, you know, why are eight tracks so hard to find in, <laughs> in <laughs> music stores? Because it's just not what we do anymore. Right. And I think that what has unfortunately been buried in that change of what is Vogue is one of the most intense fuel sources that companies can have. If you can't be objective, if you can't step back to question assumptions, if you can't brew on a creative topic before you spew it out and, and create an output, everything that you touch is compromised. And so one of our missions at Whitespace at Work is to bring back this thoughtful time and make it present in an age of technology where boundaries and norms and people supporting each other make up for what used to be so easy to do. Yeah. Well, that's really important. And do you have any steps leaders can take to implement white space within their organizations or what does white space done well look like? Good question. So let's start with what white space done well looks like. So white space done well is a permission-based system. It means that from the very top leadership, there's a respect for thoughtfulness and a low tolerance of waste. So if the senior leaders in a company can't sit for 10 seconds without fidgeting and picking up a cell phone, or if they keep spewing unnecessary tasks and complexity and reports and data and requests and low value stuff into the environment, it's very hard for people downline from them to believe that white space is important. Mm -hmm. But if a leader from the top chooses to model it and gives permission, it's very, very powerful. So one of the most important things that leaders can do just at the beginning is to make what we call a vulnerable admission. And that is do some thinking about your own complexity versus simplicity and see if there's anywhere where you, leader, are actually part of the problem. Are mm -hmm. you the one sending emails on Sunday nights? Are you the one who never takes a vacation so everyone else is scared to? Are you the one who asks for 17 versions of a deck when really version 14 was absolutely perfect, especially if it's internal? And then cop to some of those mistakes in a public way. That's the vulnerable admission to say, you know what, guys, I've been noticing. I add extra work. I add complexity. I have trouble with impulse control. I want everything mm -hmm. right now. Those kinds of statements said in a way that still saves space and maintains the grace and status of the leader can be really, really, really powerful to start dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now, when we work with companies, our white space process with them is eight months in the first tranche of the work to instill the basic concepts of white space. And we've designed a very, very orchestrated system to do that. So sometimes I have a little trouble when people say, how can leaders bring white space into their cultures, stepping outside of the framework that we've created because we believe right. in it so much. Mm -hmm. But I will say that when you are outside of that framework, let's say you don't have resources for a training program or an external consultant and you just want to create more white space, start by attacking waste. Look everywhere in your organization. Look at the emails. Look at the meetings. Look at the interruptions. Look at the way you write reports that nobody reads potentially and start carving away waste because that's really the first part. Mm -hmm. Then you're liberating white space naturally as a byproduct of that work. The next step is to start making white space permitted. So you can say to people, listen, we're going to spend six months getting rid of garbage. But at the end of the six months, we don't want that free time that we've created, that bandwidth and talent capacity to be refilled with garbage. Right. We want to keep it open for something else. And just talk about the basic idea of thoughtfulness. You don't even have to use the term white space. Although we love if you do, and we, we love it for a certain reason, we think that the term itself is incredibly, incredibly powerful because it rebrands what you would previously have considered idle time. 
So if you imagine that you're a worker and you have 60 seconds between, all of a sudden there's this 60 seconds that just sort of happened. It's, the meeting is over, but the conference call hasn't started. The words that you would normally associate with that is, am I, am I taking a break? Am I goofing off? Am I slacking off? Am I doing nothing? Am I idle? They're all negative words that would occur to you in that little 60 seconds. But once you know the term white space, now you have a positive container that shows that you're doing something valuable during that time. You're refreshing or you're thinking or you're digesting. Those are all incredibly important things. And just the term itself gives this powerful container so that people have now permission to rebrand that moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering... What if you're in middle management or if you're entry level and you're trying to make time within your day for white space, but on the outside, maybe it looks like those negative words that you just mentioned, being idle. How would you recommend someone who is not, you know, on the high ranks of leadership to be able to help the organization along and implement white space within the organization? Sure. So remember to begin with control what you can. A lot of white space learners can keep themselves from learning by just focusing on what they can't control in an organization. But if you draw a little circle around your own world, the meetings you invite people to or the meetings you accept, the emails you send, the emails you receive, how you respond to them, whether or not you check your phone every second or whether or not you allow some spaciousness in between checks, those are all things that you can absolutely control within mm -hmm. your own realm. So start working on this technology impulse control and this idea of being a little bit more what we call reductive and looking at a little mental catalog that you begin carrying of what are the things that you're touching that could potentially be low value of some kind. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like you have permission to opt out of a meeting or to not respond to an email, just try to start dialogue within your team and your partners about what are they doing here that maybe we could stop doing. Yeah. I noticed we cc'd. 17 people on this email. Is that really necessary? I noticed that there are three of us all at the same layer and all at the same function in this meeting. Is that really necessary? And just start gently, gently pushing back. We can also really help you too. We have videos and documents and all sorts of cool stuff to help people socialize white space upward in an organization. So we're more than happy to be helpful if we can be. Great. That's awesome. So at LeaderCast Live in May, I know that you will be introducing this concept of quantification of busy work. Can you tell us a little bit, give us a little teaser about what that is? Yes, sure. So we're one of the only companies in the world that focuses on quantification of busy work. And the only other one we know of in the entire world uh, does it in a very finite way and only on the topic of meetings. But what we became fascinated with about two years ago was that there are hard dollars that can be absolutely attached to busy work. And it isn't even hard to do. It's math that your eight-year-old can do. Well, what we do is we just ask people questions about unnecessary work, about low-value emails, CCs, FYIs, what they feel are not necessary or germane to their productivity and to really having a benefit to the business. And then we start logging those hours in the document. And we figure out about how many hours people spend on what we would call low-value work of some kind. And then we quantify it. We take salary data. We add a little bit for, for GNA, which is typical to find out the value of somebody's time. And then we just do the math, how many wasted hours times how much money you make per hour. Mm -hmm. And it's really simple math. And it usually turns out to shocking numbers of waste when you do this quantification. It usually ends up being about a million dollars of annual waste oh for goodness. every 50 people in an organization. Wow. So if you start doing math to larger companies, this is 30, 40 
$50 million annually just from not being more aggressive about reducing that busy work. And the reason that this is relevant to white space is that when you remove that waste, Mm -hmm. the white space can naturally appear as a byproduct. Yeah. Well, I think that answer is just, that's exactly why leaders should care about white space. If If that doesn't give them an idea of the importance of white space, I don't know what will. That's incredible. So Julia, was there anything I missed, anything that I should be asking that we didn't cover in today's episode? Well, just just in your last comment, perhaps, about why they should care. You know, there's so many things that leaders care so much about that white space threads into. Retention of wonderful talent by creating a culture that's pleasant for them. Mm-hmm. Being magnetic toward other talent and reducing the cost of onboarding new people because people love your culture and they like to talk about it and promote it. Right. Giving creativity and innovation a time to play making sure that strategy is part of the day of every team and not just something we walk into work and we pound through a to-do list with no idea of where we're headed. There's Mm -hmm. so many different benefit categories and money is one of them, but it's not the only one that's important. Right. Absolutely. But we did say we were going to do a giveaway for some of your audience. So we have a process where we actually do that quantification. We only, unfortunately, we only give it away free to larger groups. But if you happen to be a leader over a group of over 500 people, we can actually give you a full quantification report at no cost, showing the cost of busyness in your own organization. It could be really, really interesting. Cost is not enormous if those want to do it who are under 500, but it's completely free at that group size. And it can be a marvelous, marvelous output report to have in your hand if you want to socialize around ideas of making your environment more thoughtful and less busy. Great. Yeah, we would love to share that. Where can they find out more information about that? Just write to us at info at whitespaceatwork.com, put free quantification report in the subject line, and we will send you a sample. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Julia. We appreciate it. And thank you so much for being here today to explain the power of white space. It's been very insightful and such a pleasure speaking with you. And we're so, so excited to have you on our stage in May. So just thank you for being here. Thank you. I'll talk to you real soon. Today's episode of the LeaderCast podcast is brought to you by LeaderCast Live where Juliet and eight other expert leaders will take the stage to share their leadership wisdom and insights. Again, LeaderCast Live is happening live this year on May 10th in Atlanta and broadcast to locations around the globe. So please visit live.leadercast.com to learn more. A big thank you to our listeners for tuning into our podcast today. You can learn more about Juliet and Whitespace at Work by visiting whitespaceatwork.com. Listeners, please share this podcast and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we will see you back here soon for another episode of the LeaderCast podcast. LeaderCast Live is the largest one-day leadership event in the world. Join tens of thousands of fellow leaders live in Atlanta or at a host site near you. Visit live.leadercast.com to learn more. Thanks for tuning in to the LeaderCast podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. In today's ultra-competitive job market, top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch-and-learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, 
and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.